This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, if you already have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. And those of you that are watching, we want you to tune in with us and get your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as well. We're currently in a series on the home and the family, fortifying your family with the whole armor of God. And if you did not get a bulletin when you came in today, we want to make sure that you have one. And so just hold up your hand real quickly. We'll find you. And excuse me. We gave them all out. Well, how about that? That's, that's a good indication that we got a great number of folks here today. And I appreciate uh, you having one. And uh, if for some reason you didn't and you'd like to get one, uh, let us know before you leave and we'll make sure that you do get one. But what a blessing that is when you give out all the bulletins. How about it? That's a blessing. Amen. So that's refreshing. Well, we're talking about the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this is going to be a message today that I hope will encourage you as a family. And I want to try to help you with some perhaps missing ingredients in your personal life. This will help you if you apply the Word of God. And so I want you to look with me now. They will get these scriptures on the screen for you. And I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Again, I'm not going to go back and be redundant with everything that we've talked about. But chapter 5 leads us into some wonderful truths that we're talking about in chapter 6. And uh, as Paul goes through these, he now gets to verse number 10 and he says, finally. That's very important because what he's about to say right now is life-changing. It will affect your family. It will affect you personally. So look at this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now that's important because of what verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Nowhere in this passage are we told to put our armor on. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so this is not about us. Always it's about him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men nigh to me. John said in John chapter 3, verse number 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's important here. Paul is telling us to put on God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers. Look at that. Rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness and high places. I will tell you that the devil is not the only one whom we know and consider to be our enemy. He has an army of fallen angels, and we'll see that in just a minute. There are demons and there are evil working spirits with him in this world right now. In verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor, not just part of it, some of it, but the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, in the day that the battle comes to your front porch, 
in the day that it knocks on your door, in the day that it invades your home, in the day that it creeps into your life personally, look at this. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And then notice this. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We spent an entire Sunday talking about that. And the breastplate of righteousness, that was last Sunday's message, and now today. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Or that you put on your feet the whole gospel, notice that, of peace. Every single piece of armor is important. You will not win spiritual battles without it. I promise you. And so we're talking today about the shoes of the gospel of peace. When you stop and think about it, listen carefully, shoes, when we read this passage of scripture and your feet shod with the gospel of peace, that's talking about shoes, that's talking about the fortification of your spiritual feet, so to speak. And when you stop and think about it on a personal way, Shoes are very important to us. They're a very important part to our apparel. Most of us have shoes for every kind of occasion that you can possibly dream of or for every activity. I mean, we have dress shoes, we have casual shoes, we have work shoes, we have walking shoes, we have sports shoes, we have beach shoes. Now, although I have shoes for all of these different things, my wife has 10 more than I do. For every occasion. I don't get that. I don't I don't get it at all. I mean, you know, we we the fellas we know how to make it. I mean, we know how to get through, but I mean, come on now. But she does. Our shoes protects us from all sorts of things that we might have negative issues with walking barefoot. I can remember that when I was a child. <clears throat> We didn't have, when I was growing up in the early 60s, I did not have, we did not have all of the technologies that kids have today. You kids growing up today, listen, you don't, have you ever heard somebody say in your family, <clears throat> you don't know how bad it was or you don't know what I went through or what I had to do and all those kind of old stories. Well, they're true. They're true. I did, I did not have the luxury of a cell phone when, <laughs> when I was a kid. No, my mother, she would stand on the back porch and she would yodel until we came. And uh, we, we better come pretty quick. I didn't have an iPad. We didn't have cable television. In fact, when I was growing up in the early 60s, all we had was black and white TV. And I remember it was so broke that we had to use a coat hanger for an antenna. And the, and the channel thing didn't work. We had to put a pair of pliers on top of the TV and we had to turn the channel with, with a pair of pliers. And you could only get three channels. And I assure you that everything that came on those three channels, I had no interest in it. <laughs> Unless it was Leave it to Beaver or Andy Griffin, Gunsmoke, those Rawhide, you remember those stories. All right, now... So we had to make it up. When we were growing up, we had to find things to do to entertain ourselves. 
one of the biggest things, and we did have bicycles back in those days. And I can remember on a hot summer day when all the guys, so to speak, got together in the neighborhood. And, and as I was speaking Wednesday night, you know, once you do something over and over and over again, you get tired of it and you try to find a way to pick up the game a little bit, make it more exciting. So I can remember it got to the day, the early days in, in my childhood when we started doubling on bicycles. You know what doubling is? Okay. And so I can remember on one hot summer day that I was sitting on, do you remember the butterfly handlebars? Does, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Butterfly, butterfly handlebars. Okay. So the guy, he has butterfly handlebars. I'm barefooted and he's going to double me to the place. And I, and, and when you're doubled, when you sit now, listen, kids don't do this. What you're hearing me say, just forget about it. Don't do it. You heard those stories. Unless you're a professional stuntman, don't do any of these things I'm talking about right now. But I can remember sitting on the butterfly handlebars barefooted, and you had to put your, your big toe on, on both of the screws that held the wheel on. And I can remember on one particular hot summer day that the rider or the driver of the bicycle, he slipped in some loose gravel. And my first instinct, was to put my feet on the road to stop and brace myself from what was inevitable. But what I did was, in trying to do that, I put my feet in the spokes. And when my feet got caught in the spokes, the guy that was driving the bike, because the whole bike flipped, because it was like locking up the front wheel my feet were in the spokes. He comes over the handlebars, and needless to say, we were in trouble. The first thing that came to my mind when I hit the pavement, and I'm telling you, my feet, it looked like they had been in a chainsaw. The first thing that came to my mind was, I wish I had my shoes on. My wife, when she was about the same age, we grew up together. Some of you may not know this story, but we met when we were 10, 10 years old. We were having a Sunday night service in our old church in Petersburg, Virginia. And uh, in that church parking lot, there was a huge magnolia tree. And back in those days, the churches, they didn't have air conditioning. All they had was these funeral home fans. You know what I'm talking There's some maybe in the pew here. I, I keep them in there for nostalgia. So if you wave one at me, that's okay. I get it. But that's all we had was the nostalgia nowadays, funeral home fans. And we would lift the, the windows up, no screens. Mosquitoes would come in, no sound system, no band, an upright piano that just plucked away. But one Sunday night, services back on Sunday night back in those days started at 7.30, and I can remember it was about 7.25, and an old dilapidated station wagon pulled up in front of the church, and about eight kids piled out of it, and there was one in the crowd who was wearing a purple sweater, a purple and plaid skirt, purple knee socks. I stood under that magnolia tree when she was 10 years old, And 
and I told those boys, I'm going to marry her. Well, that was in 1967. I graduated on a Wednesday night. She graduated on Thursday night, 1976, and we got married. Had the wedding rehearsal on Friday night, got married on Saturday night, June 12, 1976. Now tell me if that's not a Cinderella love story. <laughs> but when she was growing up, I was growing up. When I was 10, she was 10. And she, back in those days, went out into a creek bed barefooted and stepped on a piece of glass on her heel. And when she did, she came out and her mom looked at it and so forth and they dressed it up and blew it off. But how many months was it later that you found out that it was there? Six months later, with excruciating pain, she had to go to the doctor and come to find out that when she was in that creek bed six months earlier, a piece of glass had wedged up into her heel. The heel had healed, and she still had that glass up in her. And so the doctors had to chisel it out six months later. She said, I wished I had my shoes on. I want you to think about this because shoes are very important to us in life, everyday life. We need them for all sorts of things. But here in this passage, the shoes that Paul is talking about is in comparison to the footwear of a Roman soldier. And the spiritual footwear that we need in our life, listen carefully, we're coming back to the message today, is spiritual protection that fortifies us against the devil in our steps, where we go, what we do. And I want you to understand, listen carefully, that the girdle of truth is important. We've talked about that. The breastplate of righteousness is important, and we've talked about that. But we can still fail in the battle when the enemy comes against us if we do not have the shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, listen now, everybody here today that's raising children especially because this is a family series and even if you are grown and, and you have an empty nest and, and you are living by yourself, but listen carefully, this message applies to you as well. Let me ask you a question today because this, this thing about the shoes of the gospel of peace, it affects all of us, and especially those of you that are raising children or grandchildren. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think with me. If you were to ask God for a tremendous answer to prayer, if you had a huge prayer in your life, and some of you this morning might have something that you are intently asking God for right now, you're trusting him, and you're not just trusting God for something, but the thing that you're trusting God for, you know requires divine intervention. I'm not just talking about something like, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm not talking about those kind of issues and those kind of repetitious prayers, but I'm asking you the question, search your heart today. Is there something going on in your life where you consider it to be more than just something that you repetitiously pray for. I'm talking about something serious where you know that if this is going to work out for the good, that you're going to need God's divine intervention. And if that's so, let me ask you this. What is the biggest thing that you are praying for in your life right now? The thing that you want God to do more than anything else, what is that? Think with me just for a moment. What would it be? In the word of God, Solomon wanted more than anything wisdom. 
and God gave it to him. Elisha wanted a double portion of God's spirit. Hezekiah wanted to live longer. Habakkuk, he, he, he just wanted to see the mighty works of God in miraculous ways. Simeon, when you study the scripture, he wanted to live long enough to see the baby Christ child. The apostle Paul, he wanted to see all of Israel saved. So in the scriptures, we can find different characters of the word who had tremendous prayer requests and they wanted to see God do something more than anything else. They said, God, this is my prayer. And if you would be so kind to me, this is the thing that I would like for you to do. And so All of us this morning may have something in our life that we are earnestly, intently asking God to do. I asked a lady a few years ago that question because it was apparent when I was visiting with her that her soul was just riddled from top to bottom, from head to toe. You could just see on her face anxiety and trouble. Sometimes when I was talking with her, it looked like she was looking out of the window and her mind was a thousand miles away. And in the conversation, she began to tear and cry. And I stopped and I said, let me ask you a question. If you were to have just one thing, if God were to answer just one prayer, what would it be? I will never forget what she said. She said, Pastor, if God would only answer one prayer for me, then I pray that God would give me And when she said that, her countenance matched up with that. Let me say this peace is something that's missing in every dimension of life all around the world. I think it's the most sought after thing on the planet, peace. Peace is needed inwardly because all of us, every single one of us, I believe we have been so rattled before in our life When we have had one thing coming at us after another, all of us, have you not said a hundred times in your life, it's always something? Have you ever said that? It's always something. Have you ever said that it's one thing after another? Have you ever been in a place where you've said, when it rains, it pours? Have you ever been in a place where you've said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? I think all of us can identify with that, but let me say disturbances comes at us all the time from all sorts of things. Sometimes disturbances come to us one at a time, and sometimes disturbances come in our life in bunches, and they leave us overwhelmed. A lot of times when we're talking to friends and family members and we're overwhelmed and we're harboring things inside, they might not be able to see, but on your face, They can tell that something's going on. They cannot see exactly what you're struggling with, what's going on on the inside. Listen carefully. Some listening by internet today, you're watching and you're identifying with the preacher this morning. Some of you here today, let me say this. You're here today. Some have masks, some do not. I see many smile at different sorts of times and I see you being blessed together. But listen, there may be some people watching today by internet or there may be some people here this morning that's dealing with a broken heart inwardly, something that's pounding against your soul something that's robbing you of peace, something that's robbing you of joy, something that's robbing you of sleep and stability. And most of all, listen, when something is robbing you of peace, literally your whole world is turned upside down. 
Let me ask you this question. Are you able to lay your head on the pillow at night with unshakable peace? You might say, well, preacher, that's not possible. Because if you only knew the world that I lived in, if you knew what I was going up against, let me say this inwardly, you might be dealing with some kind of guilt, something of the past that you have prayed at night and you have cried at night and you have begged God, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Get that out of my mind. Get that out, out of my memory, Lord. I don't want to think about it again. But I'll tell you this, if, if your past keeps coming up and you are in broken spirit over that, let me assure you that the Holy Spirit's not throwing that in your face. If you are troubled during different times and you would say, I look back over the years and I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I hadn't said that, God's not doing that to you. Let me assure you of something today, that when you have put something in your life that was so tormenting of the past, you wish you could take time back and relive it and not do that again. When you get to the place where you keep thinking about this, listen, if you have put it under the blood of Jesus, if you have said, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for this, I repent of this, I confess this to be sin, and I want you to put it under your precious blood. I want you to be assured that God puts it in the sea of his forgetfulness. He puts it as far as the east from the west. It's not the Holy Spirit bringing it up. It is the devil, and what you need to do is say this, yes, I did it, I'm sorry I did it, but it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. So listen carefully. Sometimes inwardly with guilt, the tempter, the evil one, he comes and he puts fear in us. He puts tension in us. He puts worry in our minds. He, he might even make us depressed. Something that just seems to make you think that life is not worth the living. But not only are there internal conflicts, but there are external conflicts. Because here's what we do, those of us that are raising kids and grandkids, here's what we do. We worry about our kids. We worry about the peer pressures that they face today. Believe me, it's another world. The things that that are happening to children today, those of you that are my age or, or, you, or you know the real deal, let me assure you, you can identify with this, that the things that we were growing up with in our lifetime and the things that our kids are dealing with today, listen, never entered into our imagination. And you know what the scary part of that is? Listen carefully. If Jesus tarries is coming because those things never, these things today, I cannot believe. Sometimes I counsel with mothers and fathers who are broken and they begin to tell me what, what their kids are going through, what their kids are doing and what their kids are involved with. And, and they, they said, I've raised them in church and I don't know how it got to this point. But let me assure you something. You can look back on your childhood and see where they are today. And these things were not in your imagination. But if Jesus tarries is coming, think with me just for a moment. When these kids, your kids, get old enough to become parents themselves, listen carefully. If Jesus tarries is coming, it will be far worse then than it is right now. So you think about what our families are up against. Our kids are going through peer pressures that we cannot even comprehend sometimes. And those of you that are raising children, get involved in, your life, in their life. And if you are doing it, listen, get them in sports, get them in programs, get them in the house of God, get them in the Iwana program, get them in the children's ministries, get them involved in all kinds of things that you possibly can that's related to the Lord. And then you deal with the external things, your job, you, you, you have people that, that you have to work with five days a week sometimes, and, and they're just impossible people. 
And you go home sometimes crying and praying. Maybe you're dealing with an external situation where there's conflict in your home and your marriage. Maybe you're dealing with health issues. And maybe you're dealing with health issues of your loved ones. But not only are there internal conflicts, not only are there external conflicts, but then there are times where we deal with spiritual conflicts. Because I'm telling you, the devil will bring to you discouragement. He will bring to you doubt. He will bring to you disappointment. He will attack your faith. He will use anything he possibly can to distract you from Jesus. But remember this, Jesus came to give peace. He said this in John chapter 14 and verse number 27. They'll get the scripture on the screen for you. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because here's what happens. The devil, the enemy, he wants to take away your peace. And he will use every enticing means to do it. We need to be careful of his false promises. Listen carefully. The devil will bring you to a place of despondency so low and so disrupted that he will get you to think at times, listen, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a child of God, but look at your situation. Does he love you? He might get you to say, look what you're missing. All of this Jesus stuff has you living in the salt life. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. The devil may say, all of this Jesus stuff has you living in the light stuff. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The devil may say, listen, this thing, this Jesus thing is so complex. It's so difficult. Listen, you need to walk away from him. Think about how better your life would be if you just let Jesus go for a little bit. Just, just put him on the shelf just for a little bit and enjoy the pleasures of the world just for a little bit. Listen carefully. Many people, the devil has convinced that the grass is greener on the other side. But never forget this. The grass always grows greener over septic tanks. And the devil won't show you that part of it. The devil is a destroyer of peace. In fact, he destroyed the peaceful arrangement in heaven. You say there was a disruption in heaven? Absolutely. And I want you to see this in Isaiah chapter 14. And I want you to look very closely at verse number 12 to 14 because everything was going good up until this point. God said, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You see, Lucifer in the beginning was the most beautiful of the God's created angelic beings. He was in heaven at one time. And he said, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which disweakened the nations for thou hast said in thy heart. Here's where the trouble in heaven started. When, Sa when Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mound of the congregation in the sides of the north. Notice this. When the devil said to God, listen, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan destroyed in the beginning, the peace that was in heaven. And we ultimately know what happened to him. He also destroyed the peaceful arrangement in the angelic world. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 4, they'll get this on the screen for you. You follow along on your bulletin with me. Look at these scriptures. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. That means that when Satan rebelled and revolted in heaven, and I just gave you the scripture in Isaiah, when that happened, he led a third of heaven's angels astray. 
They became demons and fallen angels. His tail drew the third part of the stars and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so Satan disrupted the peace, that tranquility that was in heaven at one time. He disrupted the, the peace and, 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 uh, that was going on in the angelic world. And then notice this. He destroyed the peaceful arrangement that was in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. This is in Genesis 3. I want you to see this in verse number 14 through 19. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thou go, and thus shall thou eat all the days of life. Now what's happening here? Because of the rebellion, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, which was enticed by Satan. In verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Now, now the Garden of Eden was a perfect place until the devil disrupted the peace. He said, thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. It wasn't designed to be that way, but because of the disruption of peace and the disobedience. Notice this. For, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Now the ground in the garden of Eden in the beginning was not cursed. It was a perfect environment. But because Satan disrupted the peace, this is the result of it. He said, for thy sake, in sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken for dust thou art and dust shalt thou return. Death was not in the picture in the beginning of the Garden of Eden. But God said this, the day that you disobey me, the day that you die, you, you rebel, he said, thou shalt surely die. Have you ever thought about this? When God said to them, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. As a result of disobedience, we die. Have you ever thought about that when a person is in a coffin, that that is the result of what happened way back in the Garden of Eden? But here's the thing that I want to encourage you as a believer, as a child of God. Every time you see a person in a coffin, death is a result of sin. It's a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Jesus said, God said, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And death was passed upon all mankind. But let me tell you this, as a born-again believer, when you see a loved one that's in the coffin, yes, death is a result of what happened way back in the Garden of Eden. However, if you are a believer... The word says, and Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we thank God for salvation, for redemption. We thank God for heaven. Now, he destroyed the peaceful arrangement and all of these things, and he's trying to destroy the peaceful arrangement that you have in your home. And I believe one of the best ways to protect your personal peace is to keep your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3. I've shared this verse over and over and over again. People call me. People come to my office. We talk about it in the lobby. We talk about it everywhere. People say, I'm troubled. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I need help, preacher. My mind is here. It's there. I, I can't pray like I should. I can't read my Bible like I should. And I give them this one simple verse. Thou will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on thee. Satan is after your mind. Keep this in your mind that you have to fortify your family against him. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. You have to keep your mind on him. He wants your home. Listen carefully. He wants your marriage. He wants your family members. The devil wants to disrupt the peace that we have in our church. He wants to disrupt the peace that you have in your personal faith. He's a destroyer. And in order for us to win, we have to have the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, real quickly here, and I want to go real fast. There are five simple things that you can do to secure peace in your life. And I wrote them down for you. You have them before you. First of all, you need to know the author of peace. You will never have peace in your life without Jesus Christ. You may have a few good times in your life, but listen carefully. You will never have real peace if you don't know Jesus. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, look at this, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've got to keep our eyes on him. Secondly, you need to meditate on the Prince of Peace. Now, I changed one scripture early this morning, and I want you to write this in your bulletin. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 for this particular point. And so in your scriptures, I repeated Isaiah 26, 3, but I want you to cross that out and write Isaiah 9, 6. The scripture says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Look at that. Let me remind you of something today. If you're looking for peace in your life and you're praying for God to give it to you, listen carefully. Peace does not mean easy. Now you think about that. Peace does not mean easy. Peace means this, comfort and help. And a lot of people get mad at God when they pray for peace and they see that things are coming one after another, when it rains, it pours. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're saying, God, I've asked you to make my life easy. That's not what peace is. When you ask God for peace, you ask him to intervene in your life. Peace is God giving you comfort and help. He told us in the scripture that, hey, tribulation was going to come. We're going to have tribulation in this world, but he's overcome the world. In, the, in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 15, this is what Paul said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. And so when you're under a spiritual attack, here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do. Don't dwell on the things that are happening continuously. Yes, you got to face them, but don't dwell on all of the negative. Here's what you do. You look back in your life and you think about after one time after another. Well, let me ask you this. Has God ever come through for you? Has God ever met you at the 11th hour? Has God ever met you at a place where you thought you were going down for the last time? You thought there was no hope, no help. But then somehow over the horizon... God sent an angel. God sent the Holy Spirit. God did something that lifted you out of that horrible pit. 
and you look back on it and you say, there was no other way to explain it. God did this. God salvaged me. God spared me. God rescued me. God gave me the comfort and the help that I needed. Has anybody ever been there other than me? I've seen God do things at the 11th hour. I cannot tell you how many times. When I thought that things were over, things were done, I saw the hand of God, the unseen hand of God, rest upon me, rest upon my family, rest upon this church, rest upon you. I've seen God do incredible, wonderful, mighty things. When I thought it was hopeless, God came through. So dwell on the things that you know God has done and remember he's still alive and well. Number three, real quickly, you have to manifest the spirit of peace in your life. You simply have to let God, listen, Carrie Underwood had a song a few years ago and she said it this way, Jesus take the wheel. Now, will you stop and think about that? Think through that just for a minute. Because a lot of times in our life, what we do is we are sitting in the driver's seat and we're at the steering wheel and we have Jesus over here as a passenger and we're trying to tell Jesus what he needs to do, how he needs to do it, when he needs to do it. And we are simply trying to be the boss of Jesus. But you know what we need to do? We need to get out of the front seat, get in the back seat, and say, Jesus, take the wheel. Navigate me, Lord. Guide me. Direct me. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5.9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be Call the children of God. Number four, quickly, we have to have an enormous love for the word. Here, here's how you have peace. You need to get in the word. You need to obey it. You need to increase your appetite for it. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I want our musicians to come forward, and I want you to look at point number five. If you want real peace in your life, whenever you're having low times, You're having discouragement. The devil is trying to defeat you. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to wreck your family. He's poisoning your kids. You're troubled on every way, on every hand, on every side. Listen to this. One of the things that you can do to rise above that and have peace is to share the gospel. And this is what I have said many times, and I hope you never forget it. But sharing the gospel is simply this. It's telling one beggar to another beggar where he found the bread. That's so important. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now let me ask you something. What is the gospel? When you start sharing the gospel, you'll be amazed, even though you might have a wagon load of trouble, a wagon load of stuff that's trying to pull you under. You're dealing with everything, every day, all day. You're dealing with your children and and what they're involved in, and you're trying to keep things from them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to mold them. 
And then you go to work every day and you've got to deal with people on the job. Then, then you're dealing with one another in a relationship. Then you're dealing with financial issues. You're keeping up with your house and your lawn and you're dealing with neighbors and all sorts of things. But let me tell you this. If you can somehow put some of that in park just for a moment and begin to share your faith, share your, the gospel. Let me ask you, do you know what the gospel is? What is the gospel? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3 and 4, we've got a very simple outline of what the gospel is. Look at this. For I delivered unto you the first of all that which I also delivered, how that Christ, here's the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So the gospel is this. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and your sins. He took my place. He took your place. For God so loved the world. And that he was buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then notice this. And that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not in vain, not to make a name for himself, but he died on the cross to save me and to save you and to save the world. He was buried and he rose again, defeating hell, death, and the grave. And here's the simple thing. If we trust him, if we place our faith in him, if we receive him as our personal savior, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. You were buried. You rose again. God the Father raised you on the third day. I believe that. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. And I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. John said it this way in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, Jesus said, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So when you begin to share the gospel with other people, you'd be amazed how much of a difference it makes in your life, how much of a peaceful feeling that comes over you and in you. And here's the thing. If you're going to share the gospel, the first people that you ought to share the gospel with is your family. Everybody in your household needs to know the gospel, that Jesus died for them, that he was raised from the dead for them. God raised him from the dead. And if they trust him as Savior, that they can be saved. You have an opportunity to share the gospel with your family, with your friends, uh, with strangers. But let me say this in closing. When you share the gospel, it's not going to be without conflict. The devil despises the gospel. But when the gospel is shared, listen carefully, you might be overwhelmed and sinking in sorrow and trouble and conflict and depression. You might be on the verge of what is called a pity party, or you might be on the verge, like I have been many times, where I felt like there was no hope, and I was going down for the last time. And I felt like I was sinking so low that things were never going to be the same. And the tempter came and said, Look at you. You're supposed to be a good Christian, you're a preacher. And he's playing with my mind and I'm going down farther and farther. But you know, then I begin to share the gospel. And when I shared the gospel, you know what I found? He wasn't messing with me anymore. 
He wasn't coming after me. You know why? Because when you share the gospel, you talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And listen, it wasn't just a historical event. When he died on the cross, he shed every single drop of blood he had. The old song says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when you share the gospel, you're talking about the blood and the devil will flee. There's nothing more powerful in all of the world than the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. And when you share the gospel, he will flee. And when he flees, you will have peace. Remember that. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.